Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies and wrestling. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And this week we have a very special episode for everyone. What we're going to talk about today is wrestling characters, some of the outlandish characters that have been in wrestling that we feel would work well in movies. And to kick things off, we have a wonderful guest here to talk to us, a legendary wrestler who's wrestled all over the world. You know him best from his days in the WWF as Hillbilly Cousin Luke. His name is Gene Pettit, and we're very excited to welcome him here to Camel Clutch Cinema. Welcome, Gene. Well, thank you for that introduction. You make me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you, speaking of which, when did you debut? When did you start out? Oh, geez. You know, when you introduced me, I've never, ever used my legal name. Um, When I started wrestling... Oh, back in the mid-70s, early 70s, around 72, 1973, I started out in the Mid-South area down in um, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and um, Cowboy Bill Watts was the promoter in the Mid-South, and that was a, um, a really big area for wrestling back then. Um, that's really before... Cable TV came along. uh, Cable TV really changed wrestling. But um, back then, it was all all what we called territories where TV would show in in the area that covered maybe three or four states. And then it just kind of jumped along across the country, um, different areas like... uh, Dallas, Texas, and Amarillo, Texas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Kansas City, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, um, New York, Minneapolis. There was just promotions like that that existed. And um, so much good wrestling talent. It was just really unbelievable. Now, let me ask you, you're from New Jersey? Yes. But how did you start out in Mid-South? What were you doing in that area? Well, I was going to school in Tampa, Florida. I um, was going to the University of Tampa, and I graduated from Tampa University. And at that time, I had met some of the wrestlers that were in the Tampa area. And uh, one of the wrestlers, his name was Dale Lewis. He was a two-time NCAA heavyweight champion out of Oklahoma. And he had wrestled in two Olympics, and he also won a gold medal in the Pan American Games. 
and he was wrestling in the Tampa area along with Jack Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, and oh, yeah. uh, Wahoo McDaniel, and, and um, uh, just so many other wrestlers. Uh, uh, like I said, Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the Briscoe brothers. You teamed as part of a brother team with Dale Lewis, who, who wasn't really your brother, right? Right. Yeah, we looked so much alike, and I spent a lot of time with Dale that people just assumed that we were brothers. <laughs> how did you How did you meet Dale? What did How did you guys get connected? Well, um, at the time, I was living in an apartment complex that um, a lot of the football players from Tampa University were staying at, and I stayed there with them. And uh, Dale was also living there at the apartment complex. And there were some other wrestlers that were staying there also. And um, just with uh, being in the same complex, I I got to meet Dale. And then I was taking some summer courses to, I had one more uh, semester to go. And I lightened up my my uh, semester load by taking some summer courses and um, uh, so I had a lot of free time in the summer I only had uh, uh, something like music appreciation or something Right. and um, Dale had asked me if I wanted to drive because they, they were wrestling on a six day a week schedule they had Sundays off, and they were wrestling Monday through Saturday, and um, most of the trips were um, uh, anywhere from 200 to 350 miles one way every day, and it was round trip, so you were doing 500 to 650 miles a day, and um, Dale asked me if, if I wanted to drive because he knew that I liked to drive, and he knew that I was a good driver. So he told me that uh, they would provide the transportation, and, of course, they would pay for the gas and um, just needed somebody to, um, you know, to drive the car so they could, some of the guys would, I guess, take a nap in the car and they play cards or they were, sure. they liked to play cribbage or domino. I don't know. They would just... <laughs> just to relax, I guess, and not have to worry about driving. So it was fun for me. And then through that, I got to meet some of the other wrestlers and got to be around the um, the wrestling business. And it, um, it really opened up my eyes to, you know, to what it was all about. And it gave me a big appreciation for pro wrestling because... At the time, it was a um, an industry that you just didn't walk into and become a part of. Um, it was very hard to, to break into wrestling, and um, it was hard. Once you got your foot in the door, it didn't mean that you got to stay there. Oh. Um, you could ask Hulk Hogan that because the first time he tried out, they broke his leg. Wow, really? Yeah. He... Um, he was playing in a band in Tampa, and um, I mean, he was not as big as he was, but he was still, he was a big guy, and um, somebody told him that he should try out for wrestling. Sure. So 
he went down, there was a um, Japanese wrestler named Hiro Matsuda who had a training center, and Hogan went down there, and he walked in like he was just going <laughs> to take over. And um, he walked in, and he had a cocky attitude, and it took about 15 minutes before they decided to break his leg. <laughs> and they broke his leg between his kneecap and his ankle, and um, he went home with crutches. He came back a couple of months later and um, apologized to the guys that were there and told them that um, he wouldn't have that attitude if they would give him another chance. So they they trained him, and they really put him through the mill. But he was uh, determined enough to stay in there because um, it, it wasn't easy what they had to put him through with uh, the workouts and the training. And I mean, you went home every day bleeding from somewhere. <laughs> and um, he wasn't in the ring five minutes every day before he was thrown up. Now, is that the kind of sort of training regimen that you went through as well? Yeah, just about everybody went through that. Um, the th things have changed the last few years a lot different. But back then, it was a, a close fraternity. It was uh, tough to get in. And like I said, once you got in, that didn't guarantee that you were there to stay. I wanted to ask about some of the different gimmicks you had. I, I read that you at some point um, uh, toured Nigeria as, as one of the Mongols. I read that you uh, uh, were one of the moon dogs for a while. No, I was never a moon dog. Okay. Um, I wrestled as a Mongol for quite a while. I, um, I did that when I was down in um, Texas in, um, uh, what was that called? Um, well, anyway, it was one of Von Erichs. Okay, was it world class? Yeah, world class. That was it. I was there for about a year and a half. And Von Erichs were there and the Freebird, uh, G. Bruiser Brody and uh, Kamala, Andre the Giant. There was a lot of a lot of big names there. Again, they Monday we wrestled in Fort Worth. Every Monday and Friday, uh, we wrestled in Dallas. And then during the week, it was different towns all over the state of Texas. They wrestled a little bit in Oklahoma, Louisiana, but very little. I mean, Texas was so big that um, they had enough enough talent and enough town just to stay in, in Texas. And their, their TV is what they call syndication. In other words, if you turn TV on in Dallas, you got to watch the wrestling program. And if you live down in Corpus Christi and you turn TV on, you would see another wrestling program down there. The same one, but just coming from a different TV station. Oh, right, right. And that was called syndication. Now, when I started there, they were um, in 29 cities on TV, and a year later, they were in 139 cities, and that was all over the country. They had gone up to um, Philadelphia, Baltimore, they were in, um, oh, I don't know, just all big towns up and down the East Coast. Sure. And um, 
really their TV was more popular than uh, WWF Atlanta. Let's see, the TV that was coming out of Minnesota was Run Ganya. You the, the AWA, yeah. AWA, yeah. Yeah, the world class TV was just really, just really popular. Ron Eriks had such a following, it was unbelievable. Yeah, that was a pretty amazing family. Is there any experience you had inside or outside the ring with, with, with any of the Von Eriks that you'd like to talk about? Well, really, those kids had a, they had a tough upbringing because their father, uh, Fritz, he really stayed on them as far as being the best. And they had to be, you know, he wanted them all to be world champions and, it just wasn't that easy. You just don't step in the ring and become a world champion because you're not going to step in the ring with a Harley race and he's not going to hand you the world right. title. <laughs> and same thing with Ric Flair or uh, Dory Funk or Terry Funk. All those guys were world champions at that time. They all wrestled the Von Erichs. They had good matches, but uh, David Von Erich was really the probably the best wrestler out of out of all the boys. Yeah. Did and, you um, wrestle? Did you wrestle any of the Von Erichs? Oh yeah, I wrestled all of them. Wow. Because I was uh, as a Mongol, I was wrestling as a, what they call the bad guy, mm-hmm. and they were all so-called good guys. So I got to wrestle all of them, which was um, yeah, a good experience for them. And it was also a good experience for me. And plus, the, the wrestle of Von Erichs, you, you know, you're in a, usually a main event match, and that's where you make the money. So mm-hmm. it was a good spot to be. How were those crowds at the Sportatorium? I mean, was that, a, was that a great venue to wrestle at? Oh, yeah, they were packed just about every week. Every Friday uh, in the Sportatorium, they, they were packed. Being because they they filmed TV um, Mondays out of Fort Worth, and they also did filming Friday out of the Sportatorium, and they combined the two uh, TV tapings together, and they made one one tape which showed on Saturday, and the people would watch TV on Saturday, and then they would come the following Friday to watch the uh, the live matches. And then um, they would also go to Fort Worth on Mondays and watch the um, the live wrestling. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, uh, at this point, you got a call from the WWF? Um, not right away. I um, Let's see, I was in Dallas for a while, and then I went to, um, let's see, where did I go? I went to Puerto Rico for about nine months, and um, I was in Puerto Rico as one of the assassins. That was, uh, I had a masked outfit and was tag team with uh, um, a fella out of Tennessee, and um, we were the, uh, what they call the Eurasian tag team champions, kind of their version of the the world title. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Roger Smith was his name. We were champions for almost a year. We beat the um, the Kangaroos. And then um, I left Puerto Rico and then was off for a few months. And then um, I had I was um, uh, somewhere. I think I went to see some relatives up in Boston. 
I was going through Connecticut, and I knew some people that worked in the office for WWF, and I decided to stop and say hello. There's a, there was a booking agent named George Scott, who at the time was working for WWF, and I decided to stop and say hello. And um, when I did that, I had some pictures with me, and I had taken a picture just really for a joke. It was a picture of a guy in overalls and a big floppy hat and sneakers. And That's right. I didn't know it at the time, but they were having problems with um, Cousin Junior. He was partners with Hillbilly Jim. And um, I guess that uh, he, he had missed a few shows. And um, they wanted to know, George Scott asked me, he said, this is what we need. He said, can you, can you wrestle as a hillbilly? And I said, sure, I can. So uh, you never say no. Right. It doesn't matter what they ask you. So that was on a Friday, and I started um, the TV the next Monday. That's oh, when wow. they did TV every three weeks in Poughkeepsie. Yeah, that, must have been, that must have been a long day. They would just record three or four shows, right? Yeah, they did three one-hour shows, and um, so you could actually wrestle three times. <laughs> and, I mean, it was a long day, plus they had interviews. Uh, you usually stayed over the next day, and you, you did your um, interviews. It was a long, it was, usually it lasted about three days two to three days to do the wrestling. And the wrestling they did in one day. And the interviews they did in the other two days. Wow. Where would and they record the interviews? In the same building where they did the um, the wrestling, the TV. I see. And you would record what? You'd record promos for all different towns, you know, that you guys were going to be traveling yeah. to? At that time, they were wrestling in... Uh, Oh, about 50 cities a month. Yeah, wow. Three days, you had to get those 50 interviews cut and produced and, you know, to be put on the air. What was, uh, what was Hillbilly Jim like to work with? And, and what was, uh, what was that whole, whole faction with Uncle Elmer? And how, how, how was Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun because, you know, most of the other guys, McMahon wanted them to, you know, to be big and, and, all look like uh, Hulk Hogan and um, right. You wanted know, everybody to have that kind of body. Yeah, and we weren't. It wasn't that kind of a gimmick for us. Uh, even though we trained, we didn't train to to look. You know, the the biggest and the best is what uh, McMahon wanted. So did you have a lot of interactions with 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 Vince or? Not well, much. yeah, I mean, he was very active in the daily activity. I mean, he knew what was happening in every match. He knew who was wrestling. He knew who won, who lost, what was happening. He was on top of everything, as he still is now. Sure. <laughs> so, like, very professional. He probably is 20 hours a day, wow. 18 hours a day involved with uh, with wrestling. It's, now you you were booked for WrestleMania two, and and I understand you broke your ankle. Yeah, I was out in um, 
uh, it was a run where we went out to California, and when I was out there, I um, it was in San Diego. There was a bad board in the ring; it broke. I stepped on it, and my had twisted my ankle, and it broke my leg. And um, I would have been in WrestleMania number two. We were supposed to wrestle um, uh, Valentine and Beefcake for the title. This would have been you and Elmer? No, it was Elmer wrestled... Um, oh, Adrian uh, Adonis. Adrian, yeah. yeah. And um, Hillbilly and I were going to wrestle uh, Beefcake and Valentine. Oh, wow. But things got changed around. And um, they actually called me and wanted to know if I wanted to wrestle. And I I probably, if, they, if it was now, I probably would have just gone ahead and gotten a, a hard cast put on my leg and, and made the show because um, I, it just would have been a good move for my career. But I didn't, so at the time, that was the only uh, pay-per-view that they had. Right. Mm-hmm. It was months before, I mean years, before they started doing uh, pay-per-views, you know, more often. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, now, there's a, like every month they have one. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They sometimes twice more. a month. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about a gimmick you had um, that you worked. I think one time it was a Dusty Rhodes Kevin Sullivan match where you came out as Dusty's uh, Midnight Rider gimmick. Yeah, that was down. That was another good um, good part of my career. Um, I I went into there from from Dallas. I left Dallas and um, went into Florida. And um, it was set up to where um, Dusty was wrestling as the Midnight Rider. He had a mask and a hat and big jacket. And, of course, everybody knew it was him, but it was just kind of a uh, joke. Not a joke, but, you know, trying to pull something off on the people. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he was... um, he was suspended, or yeah, they had suspended him, and he couldn't wrestle as Dusty Rhodes. So that's why he did the Midnight Rider gimmick. He had a match with Kevin Sullivan. It was they allowed him to wrestle the one time as Dusty Rhodes against Kevin. Oh, the match was going on, and um, Kevin had the um, the figure four which was Dusty's uh, finishing maneuver also. Now, Kevin had it on Dusty, and Dusty was almost passed out, and um, Kevin was still putting pressure on, and then had me walk out to the ring, and um, Dusty and I were about the same build and same size. So the people, when they saw Midnight Rider walking down the aisle, they... They knew it wasn't Dusty, but yet they weren't really... Oh, everybody must have been shocked. (laughs) Yeah. Well, not yet, because, see, they had a lot of the other wrestlers do the Midnight Rider character. Ah. Mm -hmm. I mean, from Blackjack Mulligan to Denny Brown. So, I mean, all different shapes and sizes of guys. But people knew that the Midnight Rider was really Dusty Rhodes. Right. So when I went down the aisle, they, yeah, they were confused a little bit because, you know, they were, well, wait a minute, is that Dusty? And Dusty's in the ring. And so they were a little confused. So I got into the ring, and um, 
I had this coal miner's glove in my pocket, this jacket, this big black jacket. And I put the glove on, and people didn't know yet what was going to happen. And I put the glove on, and I started hitting Dusty on top of the head. I busted him open, and he was bleeding. And then mm -hmm. um, Kevin, was he was passed out just about from putting the figure four on. Sure. So both Dusty and Kevin were laying flat on the mat. So I rolled Kevin over to the edge of the, of the ring, put him on my shoulders, and I carried him out of the ring <laughs> back into the locker room. And the people, they were so angry, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> I mean, they, they weren't booing or yelling. or They were just quiet right? because it was... You know, they didn't expect that. Yeah. And then um, we carried that on for, for weeks. Now, you that wasn't the only time that you wrestled in a mask. Um, you, you did a couple of different mask gimmicks. Were there any adjustments you had to make in the ring or any challenges that wearing a mask, uh, you know? Yeah, it's hard to, the mask, it, it really restricts your, your breathing a lot because it's, um, it's hard to get all your air through that, that mouth hole. Mm -hmm. I mean, the mask is, is not solid, it's cloth, but still, you better have your wind and you better be prepared to, you know, to wrestle, learn how to breathe through the mask because it, it's very difficult. It's not easy. But yeah, Florida was good for me because I got to wrestle Dusty probably three or four nights a week. And again, that was uh, all good uh, main event positions that I got to wrestle in. Yeah, he so, was a real high-energy guy. Well, I was lucky that I got to fill a lot of positions um, different times. Like, I I mean, a lot of guys had had one, one name or one character their whole career, and um, I was able to wrestle not really too many opening match, matches usually at least in the middle of the card and some main event matches and that was the way my whole career was i was able to fill in a lot of a lot of places with some uh, with some good wrestling gene i wanted to ask you about the pro wrestling hall of fame i noticed you're on the board of directors i just wanted you to tell everybody a little bit about the pro wrestling hall of fame well the um the hall of fame they're located in Amsterdam, New York, which is west of Albany. It's like you're going from Albany to Buffalo. We've got two buildings there that um, we've been up there for 12 years doing the um, induction ceremony. Now, they, they started 12 years ago with the first induction ceremony, and they went back all the way to the early 1900s and inducted, um, obviously, the wrestlers that had passed away. But they did some wrestlers from that era and then went through up until um, oh, a couple of the um, guys that are wrestling now right. or some that had retired in the last few years. But it's hard to... Um, you can't take everybody from the early days but you can't take everybody from the late days either. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many guys that have passed away that people don't even know who they are. We've been lucky enough to um, have the induction weekend, and um, it's a really big event 
for Amsterdam. It's, in fact, it's the biggest weekend that the town has all year. The hotel is sold out. They have the tickets for the induction dinner anywhere from 150 to 300 people. Yeah. And they they usually sell that out. Well, that's always sold out. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the hotel is sold out. The induction dinner is sold out. They have a meet and greet that's sold out. And they also have a um, uh, a memorabilia event Saturday morning where they have vendors that are set up. Anything that's related to wrestling, tapes, clothes, pictures, autographs, and they they have um, vendors that you know that are set up with tables, and that's always uh, packed. Oh yeah. So the, the whole weekend is it moves along pretty fast, and um, this year I know that um, they're going to have let's see it's uh, Cowboy Bill Watts, who as I mentioned before he wrestled and promoted uh, Mid South area. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, let's see. Um, I've got the list right here. Um, yeah, what's his name from Minneapolis? Um, Baron Von Rasky. Mm-hmm. And um, the tag team, the Assassins. Right. There's one of them that's passed away. The other one is still alive, Jody Hamilton. Okay. Um, and then um, J.J. Dillon. Of course, everybody knows him. Oh, he, sure. For managing the uh, four horsemen, and then um, uh, let's see, the um, one of the girl wrestlers, sure, uh, Joyce Grable. Yeah, Joyce Grable, and then um, I don't know who else is. There's a, there's a lot of names here: Tito Santana and El Santo, a couple of uh, great Mexican wrestlers, and I see Dick Murdoch on here. Yeah, I forgot about Tito. Yeah, that's, yeah. So it's going to be a good weekend. And that is coming up. It's the uh, 17th and 18th in Amsterdam, New York. Uh, people can find out more about that at uh, pwhf.org on the Internet. Gene, thank you so very much for talking to us tonight. Well, the time has really flew by. I, um, I always enjoy talking about wrestling. You Fantastic. Know, well, thanks for having me, and um, I appreciate it. And... Um, Maybe I'll talk to you guys again. Oh, I hope, I hope you will come back on. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. Take care. Take care. Okay. So, Craig, in the days of the WWF when I was a kid and you were a kid, the mm-hmm. characters always had a second job. <laughs> yes. They always had a super gimmick. Uh-huh. You always had guys like IRS who, you know, was moonlighting as a wrestler, I guess. Mm-hmm. Repo Man. I always found that fascinating. I think that's why I liked wrestling as a kid. I think I liked that they had these outrageous, colorful characters. Yeah, it was almost like superheroes. You know, they had, a, you know, but without the, the alter ego, yeah. they had an, a, an alter workplace. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, you know, it, I guess they were like, you can't just relate to an athlete. It's just an athlete doing athletic things. We need to give you a storyline. You you have a, you've seen cops in your town. The big boss man. 
He's yes. a cop on TV. Uh, let's talk about his character first, because he is one of the characters I think of when I think of characters that could have been in a movie, characters mm-hmm. that feel like they were lifted right out of a film. And I'm sure there's a lot of sheriffs in different movies, including the sheriff in the couple James Bond films. <laughs> uh, what is it? J.W. Pepper? Yes. I'm thinking that something like that was the inspiration for this character. Yes. <laughs> he's, you know, he's he's a big doughy guy who who's a, a sheriff. And, and when he started, when the big boss man started, he was a heel and he was mean and he was doing all the wrong things. And then he became a good guy. It might be the other way around because it's hard to remember because he flipped and flopped a lot of times. Heel face, heel face. But I really felt that was a very, very film worthy, very theatrical character. Oh, most definitely. So that is my number one on my list of five. What is your first character that you want to talk about? I am going to say that we should talk about a tag team, um, and I'm going to go with Demolition. All right, Demolition. <laughs> very, very uh, much larger-than-life characters. Um, they do have their origins in sort of being the WWF's sort of answer to the Road Warriors or the Legion of Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were a great tag team in their own right, and they had such a great look where they would come down to the ring um, with the uh, with the masks on and had the and face that music paint. And the dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. I mean, that music, I, I got to say, I think this is a great choice because I think they're incredibly underrated now because a lot of people felt that as soon as the WWF at the time got a hold of the Road Warriors, they threw them out the back door and they were to never be thought of again. But I really think for what they were, they really did a good job. And if you look at the fact that they just repackaged a couple guys, one of them, Axe, was an old fat guy. Yes. You know, I mean, this was Jake Bullet from No Holds Barred. I mean, this was not a guy in the in the prime of his career. And then, you know, Barry Darso had been playing, you know, a Russian character with the same tattoo on his arm, you know, and they just mm-hmm. they changed him into being part of this tag team. And it worked. Yeah. And, it, and they, you know, they definitely sort of felt like they would have fit right in in, a, like, a post-apocalyptic, you know, maybe B or C-grade movie. And, it, you know, would have really worked, you know, oh, something you find on one of those, like, grindhouse sets. You see these two coming at you with those masks with the big flap on the back, you know, covering the back of their head. And then they pull it up and they've got face paint under there and this S&M gear. You know, originally there was a different to a different member. It was it was uh, Axe and another guy. And he lasted about a week and they were like, it's two old fat guys. We can't do this. So they got rid of one of the old fat guys and brought in Smash. And then eventually Vince found his his other younger thin guy which was crush mm-hmm. and then they became the three-man team which was really just two guys and you know and a manager yes <laughs> um but they're still doing their thing out on the independent circuit yeah they're actually um they recently turned up um in uh back in september in uh, shikara wow or yeah. Chikara. yeah yeah yeah, so they're still doing it and i like that i i i think uh i think if you could still do it at that age more, more power to you. Yes. 
they uh they really do it really was a a gimmick though that felt like it was removed from a movie i mean road warriors obviously was taken from mad max but this really felt like vince was watching something late at night or maybe pat patterson was or terry garvin or somebody and they were like that that's what we need, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it's probably more likely they were just watching the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, on the other on the other wrestling program. It was like, that's what we need. Their contract isn't up soon. We'll just make our own. Yeah. But I think, again, I think they did a good job with it. I think those guys, for what they were, they were tag team champs. They they hold a fonder place in my heart. I knew who the Road Warriors were, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed Demolition. There were Demolition didn't just no-sell everybody. You know, these were guys that put on a real match. <laughs> yeah, and they actually also, um, you know, you were able to play them in um, the video game. That's right. What was it, WrestleMania? <laughs> was it WrestleMania? Uh, WrestleFest. WrestleFest, yes. WrestleFest is the one. WrestleMania was a video game, and I don't think they're in it because I don't think they put any tag teams in that. That was the <laughs> one for uh, for for NES. But yeah. the uh, the one WrestleFest, you get to play either the Royal Rumble or you get to play you know the the Saturday night's main event mode. And yeah. in that mode, you're working your way to the championship match against the Legion of Doom. And Hulk Hogan keeps punching that calendar, and the calendar pages tear from his from his massive punch, telling you how many matches you have left. Uh, and and you're you could be demolition. They're the uh, they're in there, and you could play as one or the other for the Royal Rumble mode, or you can you can actually choose them as a tag team for the for for that. And so yeah, they're they're uh, they hold a very fond place in my heart. So I uh, I'm glad you put them on here. Uh, I'm going to go with another tag team for okay. this. I'm going to go with uh, and and this one I'm going to expand once I give you the initial tag team, which is the Head Shrinkers, and then I want to just expand it to a lot of the stereotypical Samoan characters in wrestling. Yes, um, that is a great great choice. I always remember the the rule was that you could never hurt a Samoan by hitting them in the head with a chair. <laughs> You know, that that would not put them out. It'd put a mere mortal out, sure, but not a Samoan. They had the thicker head, which Gorilla would explain to us. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is either hit them with something or attempt a headbutt. I, I really like these characters, though. I liked, you know, Afa was just so great, and he had the big hair, you know, and they, they, they would do those chops, and you believe that that hurt more than anything else, and I bet you it probably did. But here's the thing about the Samoans and, and Jimmy Schnooka and a lot of other guys. When I was growing up, the fact that they went to the ring barefoot just <laughs> blew my mind. Yes. Uh, I would always hear, like, Gorilla Monsoon, when he had to fill time, would say, you know, I don't agree with these guys wrestling barefoot. You know, they could step on a tack on the way to the ring or something, and there they'd be out. <laughs> and I always thought that's a good point. Yes. Something bad could happen. I, uh, I I did like them. And then when you go into the beyond the wild Samoans, you know, you had teams like the Samoan SWAT team. Remember them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Great. I mean, there were these were bigger than life characters in every sense of the word, and and those were were definitely characters that I I enjoyed watching. What is next on your list? I'm actually going to jump over to uh, '90s era WCW and go with kind of a, another stereotypical character, uh, Disco Inferno. 
Disco Inferno. Very good. Now, I've always kind of thought Disco Inferno was just a, a revamp of the Honky Tonk Man character. They just said, let's take it in the 80s. They did the, they did, or actually the 90s, I guess, the early 90s. They did the wrestler who was pretending he was in the 50s. So when they got to 2000, they were like, let's do a wrestler who's pretending he's in the 70s. Yes, and he definitely feels like a character that would pop up in a wacky comedy from that time period and be the bad guy. <laughs> I I definitely can see it. I mean, they I think they are playing off like John Travolta's character, mm-hmm. you know, from uh, from Saturday Night Fever. I think that's definitely the look they're going for. And I think more often than not, with these characters, you find movie connections because I think that's easier for them to do than to say, hey, my cousin Earl used to look like this, and he used to say this, and we could make that into a character. I think it's a lot easier when somebody's already broken the code and made this character, you know, into a character on screen, it's easy for you to emulate somebody else emulating this character. And I think that's where a lot of these characters, I mean, for the, for goodness sakes, WCW put out Oz. Remember, remember when they did the whole Wizard of Oz angle? Yes, with Kevin Nash. Yeah. I mean, you know, the wrestling and movies are tied so well together. Also, when the Miz early in his career, his finisher was the Wizard of Oz. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I think at some point, you know, even Michael Cole was like, I, I can't say that, guys. Just, <laughs> they're just like, Taz Mission, Education, <laughs> and then the Mizzard of Oz, yes. and the match is over. Mm. Um, I, I do, I do think that is a, is a, is definitely a good choice. Uh, what are, what are your memories of watching that? Um, I just remember that sort of mid card in WCW, um, was really a lot of fun to watch because it seemed like as, you know, I guess part of the problems that led to WCW, you know, basically going away was they had an incredibly bloated roster, Mm -hmm. but at the same time that allowed them to really just load up, you know, Monday Nitro, which was three hours at that point with some really exciting talent that, you know, was given some time, you know, to put on some really, really interesting matches. So you had guys like like Disco Inferno who, you know, in today's day and age in like WWE wouldn't be given the time to really, you know, put on a match and tell a story. Whereas those are some of my fondest memories of, of WCW was sort of that mid-card and the cruiserweights And I think that was sort of the unique thing that they did that WWE wasn't doing. I totally agree. And I think he was, he was definitely a a very good mid Carter with a wonderful theme song. Uh, they had a a really good knack in WCW of doing those sound alikes. Oh my God. I only recently, and I know this is the one you're probably thinking Mm -hmm. of, realized that, uh, the DDP song wasn't smells like team spirit, that it was just. Sounds like Teen Spirit. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I just always thought they licensed that song, and he went self high five over top of it. I had no idea that that was you know that that was Jimmy Hart you know or whoever it was mm-hmm. that did their music, just coming up with something that was just a few notes off, so they didn't have to pay. <laughs> I've heard stories that they expected some money and they heard they heard about it, and they they I believe at one point they came up to DDP. 
<laughs> because they saw him backstage or at some show or something. And they were like, you know, we should be getting some money. And, and I think he was like, just you can call the office. Maybe they, yeah. they have a lot of money. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, I have next on my list a character I didn't think got enough time. He, as, as a wrestler outside of his character, uh, he apparently did very well, but I, I didn't see him much outside of the WWE. But I loved the Skinner character. Do you remember Skinner? Yes. Um, sort of another like middle aged looked, looking guy, right? Yeah, it was Steve yeah. Karen. And, uh, and am I, I think, it was, I think it was pronounced Kern. I had, I've never seen him in his other appearances, but I know that he is very well known. He had quite a career before his WWF career, went over to WCW for a year and then, then retired. So his, his two years in WWF was the end of his career. And I know he had a storied career before that in CWA and NWA. I just never saw it. It was not something I was familiar with, but when he he came over as, you know, this this guy who would spit tobacco on his opponent and was from the Everglades and had, you know, his his big knife and the the you know, the 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 gnarly looking flannel shirt and the beat up hat. And he'd have that chaw just always hanging out onto his beard. I mean, this guy really looked like something out of, you know, like one of those alligator films from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, according to uh, some quick research I just did here, he doubled Doink a handful of times in WWF. I guess I guess when Matt Bourne wasn't around, I do know that they did for a while. There was a lot of rumors about who was doing Doink, and I think they switched it up a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think they just were like, "Who cares?" But I know in Pro Wrestling Illustrated there was an article that hinted that it may be Vince McMahon doing Doink the Clown. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if that's true. And I think by now we would have heard it if it was true. You know, yeah. when they did the Mr. McMahon DVD, that's got to be a chapter you include. So I guess <laughs> it never happened. But there was part of me as a kid, you always had this story that, you know, his dad had, had owned the promotion and he got the, the promotion. And, and, you know, he always wanted to be a wrestler, but he was too small and he had to become an announcer. And there, there was always this thought that maybe that was his end. <laughs> Maybe, yes. you know, that's how he broke in was to play Doink the Clown. Oh, goodness. I love it. So who's next on your list, Craig? I am going to go old school and go with George the Animal Steel. Oh, very good. Very, very good. Who definitely feels like he could have existed in, you know, a, a 50s or 60s monster movie. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, when they made the movie Ed Wood, they cast him because he looked so much like Tor Johnson, who played a lot of characters that mm-hmm. was so much like what George would do. Yes. <laughs> you remember the uh, the stories that George was a school teacher. Yeah. And it was true. George was teaching phys ed. They'd always tell us he was like an English professor that was on the schoolyard. They'd be like, he's an English professor, but he was a gym teacher. But he would, when people would say to him, when students would be like, hey, I've seen you on TV, he'd be like, me, I'm not that ugly. You think I'm as (laughs) ugly as that guy? And then he'd go and he took some kind of breath mints and chewed them up and that would make his tongue green. And he'd come out and, hey, (laughs) you. And boy, he was convincing. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember at my age, I said nobody with a back that hairy could be an English teacher. <laughs> That's a very good point. 
he really he really looked the part he was great he was so furry he would take that shirt off and then underneath there he had that furry furry back and then he'd go and rip those turnbuckles open and eat them now do you think the turnbuckles back then were were loaded yeah no i think that well i think that they were regular turnbuckles because i've seen him perform an indie show and on the indie show they had a turnbuckle over the turnbuckle cover uh, because they had a turnbuckle cover over the turnbuckle cover. The turnbuckle, by the way, is the metal bolt behind mm-hmm. the cover. So on yeah. wrestling television, they almost always refer to the turnbuckle cover as the turnbuckle. So henceforth, we shall call it the turnbuckle, even though we know it's the turnbuckle cover. Mm-hmm. So on WWE TV, they would always tear open. He'd be tearing open a genuine one, which they had to have gone and put a little tear in for him beforehand because otherwise I don't care how strong you are. You're just ripping at a piece of fabric. Those things would have ripped open all the time if it was that case, you know? Yes. But he, so he'd have them gimmicked. And when I saw him do an indie show, they put fake turnbuckle covers over the real ones because that, that must've been very expensive for Vince. You know, those pads had to cost, you know, they, they, I mean, they, they couldn't be cheap. You know, they had to have them printed up with the WWF logo on them. And then he'd, mm-hmm. he'd usually tear open all four of them. Yeah. I remember being at a house show once where he tore open all four of them, threw, threw it at his opponent, threw it at the ref, threw it everywhere. Cause you know, the ref would always try to stop him and he couldn't and he'd throw it. And then afterwards they had to sweep that out. So they had to put the show on hold for a, an intermission. They had to set it so that George's match was right before the intermission. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you remember when George had his own doll in the WWE magazine named mine, a little like gorilla doll with a bald head? (laughs) Starting the trend of wrestlers that were attached to inanimate objects. Oh dear. I, and he would bring it down to the ring. Mine. (laughs) I I wanted one of those. And to this day, I want one. So if anybody is looking for a Christmas present for me, that is number one. Although I want one that's clean. I don't want one that was well loved. I, I know Somebody may have loved their mind and taken it everywhere as a kid, but I don't want that one. I want the one where the kid got it and was like, ew, and they put it in a box in the attic or no, in a temperature controlled portion of the house until uh, until they put it on eBay. That's the one I want. Oh, I love that. I, I really love that character. I mean, he was just great. And he actually had a career before you and I started watching. He had been around for a while. So he was an old man when we started watching. Uh, and then he, he eventually became like a road agent. You'd see him on TV. Just a, a good performer, though, that had quite a few entertaining matches beyond the fact that they were, you know, funny gimmick matches. He had some matches that were downright good. Mm-hmm. And some good feuds. I mean, his whole thing with Randy Savage, where he was in love with Elizabeth, was just great. Yes. Yeah, that's a very good one. Good choice. Uh, I'm going to go with a similar character, Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter, also known as Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Oh, excellent. I loved this character. This is one of the characters that when I was a kid, and I shouldn't say I loved him. I didn't. I hated him. I was terrified. terrified. Terrified of him. I believed him. I mm-hmm. believed he was 100% legit. And I think I've told the story before him and Abdullah the Butcher, mm-hmm. who I'd only see in WWE, uh, not WWE, like Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines, because he didn't go to WWE. Or if he was at, you know, WCW, I'd, I'd check it out just for him because I was terrified of him because he was real. 
You know, I knew that there was some silliness. I was pretty sure IRS didn't work for the IRS. You know, I mean, I I was pretty sure that wasn't his actual job. But Abdullah the Butcher looked like he might kill you, you know. And Mm -hmm. and Kamala the Ugandan Giant was the other guy that looked like he was going to kill Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Kamala was one of those guys where you couldn't see through the gimmick. Yeah, it really, I mean, it blew my mind, and this is with both of those guys, when I when I met them and they spoke to me in English. <laughs> you know, we met uh, Kamala together mm-hmm. at, a, at a show, and there he is, Jim Harris. We had found out he was wrestling on the indie circuit, and we were so excited. We went over and, and, and drove out and saw him, and I went up and I said, hey, I you know, I saw your website. And he's like, oh, thank you. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's like Kavala spoke to me. I mean, I assumed he could speak because he put together the website, but it's it's crazy. And then we found out he had a CD of music, so I bought it. Yes. And Kamala sings some of the hits. I'm telling you, this guy writes his own music and performs it on a Moog synthesizer. Yeah, you you have to hear it to believe it. Oh, it is it is good stuff. And he uh, he does some shooting on his songs. <laughs> yeah, he's not fond of of the WWF. Yeah, I mean there was a lot to that culture that didn't uh, didn't go well with him and he he talks about it and he there were he was underpaid he says and he was yeah. treated like a janitor and uh uh he talks about that talks about other things though not just wrestling. He's uh Yeah, there's some out- stuff he can't let go like the steroid culture and right. you know <laughs> Some of the uh, the things that went on after. Okay, I, I know what you're alluding to. What he talks about is that a lot of people were very friendly with Pat Patterson to get a better promotion in the, in the uh, in the company, and he talks about how he didn't he didn't want to do that, and that kept him back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I don't know. I don't know if it's true, but Kamala says so. Yeah, I mean, you got to respect him. He's his own man, and. Um, He's telling a story and he's sticking to it. And, yeah. you know, in the face of, of, of everybody else, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's marching to his own drummer. He says, if you want to, if you want to get ahead in the WWF, you got to bring your steroids and bring your knee pads. <laughs> yeah, he is, uh, he's a character. But back then, we would have never pictured him singing at a microphone. I mean, this was a guy who we, I believe that he ate that live chicken on TNT. There was mm-hmm. a segment where he came on with, it was Kim Chi later at this point, I think it was Friday, but whoever it was was his assistant, you know, his handler, who, who brought him out on the show and they had a chicken in a cage and then they had Vince going, no, no, don't do it. Oh my God, he's doing it. And the camera's away from him. Then they cut back and Kamala just has feathers all around his mouth. And I bought it. It was yeah. the cheesiest jump cut. You know, they cut away and cut back and there's, you know, no blood or anything. There's just feathers. Uh, <laughs> clearly, they just walked the chicken off the stage. But I bought it. Yes. I believed it. You know, and you would see like the uh, the we talked about the Samoans. We You'd see them sometime with, you know, with with raw meat hanging out of their mouth and you'd say oh my god oh these guys are real and so kamala i thought took that to another level with the face paint smacking that belly with the with the insignias on there and all the noises he would make and how he Mm -hmm. would try to pin the guy but he wouldn't realize the guy was upside down you know (laughs) he didn't he didn't know the guy had to be on his back and the referee would have to go like turn him over and he'd be like "Ooh," and then he'd flip him over i love kamala and that's why i put him on the list of the craziest characters what about you, Craig? What do you have next? I'm going to go with uh, what might be the newest name on the list, and I'm going to go with one incarnation of this character. I'm going to go with Deacon Batista, 
which was yeah. Batista's earliest gimmick in WWE. Let's uh, before we get to Deacon though, let's back up further to when Deacon when when Batista before he was Deacon Batista, he was a character. I think it was Leviathan <laughs> over in OVW. <laughs> yes, would wear contact lenses to make like he had crazy eyeballs uh-huh. and he would carry a chain and and you know he, he had a crazy gimmick and that was a big thing in OVW. I think all of those guys you know were trying to have the craziest gimmick. Remember John. John Cena doing prototype. a prototype. Yes. <laughs> John Cena would do a promo where he'd go, and and I'm going to beat you on Tuesday the 3rd because prototype is the best. I'm going to play it backwards. Whoop, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to beat you on Thursday. You know, And he would do like this weird, you know, robot stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. So then he comes to the WWE, does Dave Batista, and what gimmick do they straddle him with? They made him sort of um, Devon Dudley's enforcer, mm-hmm. Deacon Batista, who didn't really have much of a gimmick beyond that. No, it was just a name, and he carried around a box. <laughs> yes. For a long time, I confused him with Bull Buchanan, which in retrospect is absurd, you yeah. know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was – Devon was doing this preacher gimmick, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he, he had his, his collection plate. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh, Deacon Batista would hold it. It it also says to something to the to the character that uh, that Batista had that he stuck around after that. Yeah, that he went on to become more famous as you know the the actual Batista character, and and his heel character at the end of his WWE run was probably the best performance he had ever put in. Yeah, and mainly the reason I never want to see him step foot in a wrestling ring again. Yeah, because it was such a good send-off that yeah. you kind of don't want another act from that play. You want that play to be over so you can just remember how great it was. I uh, I have seen movies where a character like this would fit in perfectly. I mean, this was, you know, they, they were playing off kind of the, I guess, the Jimmy Swaggerts of the world. And uh, I know there's a, there's a really funny movie that Andy Kaufman did called In God We Trust. Uh, and boy... Deacon Batista would have fit right in standing next to one of those preachers. Yes. Of course, Andy Kaufman, professional wrestling legend who should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so who do you have? Uh, so that's who you have next on your list. I'm going to mm-hmm. go with my last one that I have on my list here, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I, I didn't just put one name. I didn't even just put one tag team. I put an entire country. Oh, wow. Okay. The Russians. Oh, yes, of course. The Russians were all over WCW when it was NWA and all over WWF television. Yeah, and that was another thing where you had these larger-than-life guys, and a majority of the time, they weren't even Russian. Oh, no. Yeah. No, they weren't Russian. And I mean, I've heard stories about, you know, the guys uh, filling out their tax papers, lying on their tax papers, saying that they were from Russia because they didn't want to kill the gimmick. I know I, I knew a guy who worked with me years ago who claimed he had lived in a trailer park with a couple professional wrestlers who were from Russia. 
and uh, you know characters from Russia, and and he uh, he could never figure out who they were. I was like, was it Nikolai Volkov? He's like, I don't know, and he he could never figure out who it was. But these guys, one of them was definitely not Nikolai Volkov because the, one of them he said had a Russian accent and was from somewhere over in that area, just like how Nikolai Volkov really was from Poland, but you know it was in that general vicinity. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, he could pull off an accent that worked and the visual worked. He said, this guy talked with a Southern U.S. accent. And he said, whenever he'd see him, he'd, you know, he had like this whole Russian look and he, how, how y'all doing? What's, you know, and he'd say, I thought you were from Russia. And he's like, I'm from the Southern part of Russia. <laughs> so I always like that story. I've never found out who it was. And I, I've long since, you know, lost touch with that guy I worked with. But I'd, I, I love to just every time I see Nikita Khrushchev or, you know, or Boris Zukov, I just mm-hmm. immediately say, I hope it was him. Uh, but it is interesting. These guys, you know, they would they were playing off, you know, our social political fears, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about the Soviet Union. But this was also a major theme in movies, movies like Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. You know, really played off this fear. And so the character that these guys were doing was all over movies. I mean, you can't say that these guys weren't a half a step away from I must break him from Rock <laughs> before. Uh-huh. I mean, that really that character, you know, was as cartoony as a lot of the WWE characters. And I mean that in a good way. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was the big bad guy you wanted to see get beat. Yeah, yeah. So I, I put them on, on my list. Nikolai Volkov, always a favorite. I mean, think about Nikolai Volkov, you know, always being up there side by side with the Iron Sheik. And then they do their, you know, uh, the Russian national anthem, which I to this day, Darius yeah. and I don't know the words. So, yeah. I mean, there's parts of it. Like, I don't know. It goes, Darius Vin Lo Shaving. I don't know that the word shaving's really in there, but that's what it sounded like to me. And to this day, anytime I'm watching something like if, if, if the Olympics is on and they have the Russian national anthem, I know it. I'm like, I know that song. They're, they're doing it a little different, but the words are the same. And sometimes he'd do a real short version of it. You know, if they didn't have time, he'd, he'd, he'd zip, you know, from the first stanza to the end. I always loved how Jesse would say he was standing up and sell mm-hmm. it, you know, how good of a singer Nikolai Volkov was. And then, of course, you'd get Iron Sheik doing the USA. Ha, yeah. I just yes. thought that gimmick was great as a kid. You know, I did, I booed them, but I mm-hmm. loved it. You know, I was all about it. Yeah, that was the easiest way to get heat back then. Yeah, it really worked. And that's why there were so many. There were Russians, probably every local federation. Mm-hmm. You know, if your town, if they put together a wrestling show, they probably got somebody to play the Russian. They're like, Joe, you have a beard. Why yeah. don't you be the Russian? <laughs> you have thick eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. So who is last on your list of, of crazy characters? Last on my list, you could pretty much go with probably any name this guy's wrestled under. But I am going to go with the name he is probably most known for, um, Man Mountain Rock. <laughs> Very good. Please explain Man Mountain Rock. I will try my best. He was a larger <laughs> gentleman that came to the ring in sort of a, a tie-dyed bodysuit, had long hair, and would play guitar. That does it. So <laughs> he was. Yeah, Man Mountain Rock. I mean, this was a this was a character. What type of a movie could you picture Man Mountain Rock in? I could see him in like Roadhouse or any of those sort of, you know, 
you know, a biker themed movie or just a movie where you got a dive bar, I could see him either up on stage playing the guitar or being a colorful guy sort of that's part of a gang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I totally could see that. And I think this is why, you know, we talk about how wrestlers aren't used enough in movies, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of this in movies where you see a guy who you're like, Hey, that's, Oh no, it's not, but it really looks like him. I think there are a lot of guys who, if there weren't movies would be doing professional wrestling. If film had never been invented, they'd be professional wrestlers. And so instead, they're out there applying their trade as an actor, you know, and and probably training very well at it, but looking like just a big burly thug, you know, or a big, you know, odd looking colorful character. And they're out there. And so I I do think there there is a lot of that in movies. And and boy, uh, these characters, they're all ones that I can picture in a in a film. Mm hmm. So that is it. A bunch of characters that would have worked in movies that were in wrestling. Craig Cohen, a pleasure talking to you tonight. Yeah, this was a really fun one. Thank you so much. And big thanks to Gene Pettit. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I hope we have him back again soon. And thank you to you for listening. And we will see you next time right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crack. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. How it patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King. Oh my God, a four-post massacre. No one can survive this. This isn't even a pay-per-view.